The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador. George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer, here in beautiful San Antonio in the heart of South Texas. How's everybody doing today? Um, We've got uh, another packed show as usual, my friends. Got some great uh, guests and commentators, and we've got a lot a lot of information and news and commentary that has uh, for you today because of all the things that have been happening just this past week. So much has happened. Uh, the DACA uh, ruling by the by the Supreme Court. There has been some uh, uh, what I call Hispanics defending uh, American history, as well as uh, the California sanctuary uh, decision, my friends. Uh, you know, so much is happening. And it's happening so quickly. And I, I, I've got to ask myself, are we going to be ready for the uh, election? Uh, or are we just going to be so overwhelmed that many of us just stay home and surrender? I, I, that really worries me. Honestly, that really, really worries me. Uh, I, I, you know, I hear so many people just saying, I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to hear the news. However, unless we do... Uh, we are in real trouble. I mean, we need to know what is happening around us. And unfortunately, the news media is great at manipulating our feelings and uh, the information. So uh, at any rate, let me tell you who we've got, and then uh, I'll, ta- I'll give you some uh, commentary, some uh, personal thoughts. We've got, uh, first of all, we've got Mr. Ira Melman, uh, who's going to be on first. He's going to talk. Uh, Ira is with um, FAIR, the Federation... Uh, for American immigration reform. And uh, Mel, uh, Ira is going to tell us uh, uh, what uh, FAIR thinks and what uh, is going on with DACA, what happened, what is the ruling. So uh, he'll provide us some insight on that. We've got also Mr. Todd Benzman from the uh, Center for Immigration uh, Studies, and Todd is going to be chatting with us uh, also about the situation with uh, covid uh, and the uh, immigration issue. Um, I mean, for some reason, my friends, we continue to want the, the, the Washington elite continue to want um, uh, folks, uh, foreign workers come into our, our, our nation when we've got a, a huge unemployment problem. And at the same time, uh, we've also we're also taking taking in covid uh, patients. Uh, here we are trying to lock ourselves down or being locked down to avoid COVID. And uh, lo and behold, uh, the immigration policy is to let COVID patients in uh, foreigners. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I, I don't know exactly what to think about that. Then uh, finally, we've got uh, our final guest is, is um, our good friend, Jason Jones, uh, who is a, uh, border crime expert and uh, now is working with Breitbart as a uh, uh, a special correspondent, as a specialist in, in reporting. Jason was just in New York City recently, uh, this past week, in fact, and Jason has uh, an update of what is happening in New York City, what is happening, uh, what he saw firsthand and uh, I mean, what what the media again is not telling us? Uh, highly, very, very important in my opinion. Very, very revealing uh, information that uh, Jason provides to us. So um, that's our lineup. Uh, let me be, uh, first of all begin by uh, talking to you about this incident in uh, in New Mexico that happened on Monday, where uh, some vandals. Uh, they're, I, I, you know, they're not protesters, my friends, to me, they're vandals, they're rioters, uh, were, um, in the process of, uh, tearing down 
a uh, statue of Juan Oñate. Juan Oñate is a uh, uh, 17th century explorer who, who uh, explored and helped to colonize New Mexico and um, a Spaniard. And uh, so this group was in the process of tearing him down because he's a colonizer, because he represents European imperialism and the conquest of native people, you know, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, this uh, statue of Juan de Oñate uh, was uh, being torn down. And um, and it's also uh, very, very imp- interestingly, it's located in Old Town, Albuquerque. Anybody who's been to Old Town, Albuquerque knows that that's, that's the colonial uh, neighborhood of uh, the the colonial part of Albuquerque. Very, very cute, very, very picturesque, very, very old. At any rate, um, these folks were in the process of tearing it down, and uh, there was a group that uh, that uh, showed up to oppose them. And uh, one, you know, members of the group were armed. Uh, there was a confrontation, and clearly in a video which has now been uh, justified because the individual, Sam Baca, has been, um, uh, apparently the charges against him have been dropped, but he was attacked. You know, these uh, these uh, leftists are very, very good of, uh, at, at gang warfare, trying to gang up on people. Well, they ganged up on the wrong guy. Uh, they attacked him with a knife. And, uh, you know, the idiots brought a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, uh, Sam Baca had a gun and shot one of them, injured one of them. And, uh, of course, you know, the, the the liberal governor, the liberal mayor, and the liberal press all had a meltdown because a uh, militia man, as they, as they uh, described him, um, shot a uh, protester. Well, here's, here's my take on it, my friends. First of all, Sam Baca, or, or Steve Baca, rather, Stephen Ray Baca is a Hispanic American. He is an American of Hispanic descent. And he was defending a, a, a piece of American history that is part of Hispanic culture. That's what he was doing. Okay? The people that were tearing it down were mostly whites. Stupid little white snowflakes. That's who was tearing it down. The person that attacked him was a stupid little dumb white snowflake. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing to me that the, that, that the race-conscious uh, media doesn't see that, ignores that fact. But here, you know, the, the bottom line to this, my friends, is that Hispanics come in various colors. We come in black. We come in brown. We come in white. We even come in yellow. There are Asian Hispanics. Talk to some Filipinos. Those folks, the you know, Hispanics are going to have a different view of history, of colonization, et cetera, et cetera, because we have a variety of backgrounds. You know, we did not come here as slaves. We have not been segregated out consistently like blacks. So therefore, their experience is not our experience. And for stupid little white snowflakes to assume that shows their ignorance. That's what it does. American history is Hispanic history, and we should defend it and protect it, my friends. We should defend it and protect it. So that's what I'll say on that. The other thing that I want to quickly uh, talk about is the issue of uh, California sanctuaries, the California sanctuary decision that uh, recently happened as well on on Monday. What does it mean? Well, it, it, it was a victory for states' rights because the state of California can determine who can live within their borders, apparently. Uh, and what rights, how they can protect the, the rights of those individuals. Uh, thus, the state can welcome illegal aliens. It's a victory, obviously, for open borders people, the advocates of open borders, because people can protect and serve illegal aliens now. They don't have to fear cooperation with federal immigration law enforcement. Now, the reality is that it's going to be a magnet for illegal immigration. <laughs> 
That's what's going to happen. Illegal aliens are going to be attracted to that state. And whether the, the illegal aliens can receive public are going to become a public burden or an economic asset remains to be seen for the state of California. It should not affect the border, the, the surrounding states and the rest of us. It is definitely a defeat for federal immigration law enforcement because it's going to limit the power of the immigration law enforcement officers to apprehend and remove illegal aliens, some of whom are violent criminals. It also allows the community and the political leaders to show disrespect towards the immigration office officers and, and, and immigration laws. There will be no cooperation, my friends, with the immigration uh, officials. That's going to happen. So it's a, it, it's a defeat for the national uh, border for national border control. I mean, there's no two ways around it. Will these states now have to be bailed out? Because they're sanctuary states, because they overspend on public services for illegal aliens, that remains to be seen. I definitely think we should not. We should not help a state that has made the decision to welcome illegal aliens. We should not. Let them do it themselves. Will these sanctuary states, my friend, profit politically from these, uh, from these illegal aliens is another question. Because as we know, the bigger, the, the, the larger the population, the more money and the more appropriation of electoral, seat, electoral college seats that you're going to get. This is a problem that we should be very, very conscientious of. Finally, my friends, this court, this court decision shows that the Constitution, it shows the Constitution in action. It's the new federalism that should force some states to pay for the decisions that they make, such as becoming sanctuary cities or states. It should. We should make sure that in our new federalism, these states don't end up having to be bailed out by the rest of us. Let each state pay for its own political and economic decisions. Now, of course, the Democrats say that it shows it's, that this shows the importance of winning federal offices so that they can put uh, uh, so that they can put uh, their liberal progressive folks uh, on on the uh, uh, in elected positions. Well, I'm telling you, my friends, this also shows conservatives and Republicans how important it is to win at the local level, because all of these problems with sanctuary communities, they start at the local level. They start at the local level. So you've got uh, the defense of freedom and liberty. It starts in your backyard. You've got to vote. So, my friends, uh, that's my rant for the for the start of our show. Um, we're going to go now to um, our uh, interviews. And uh, once again, my friends, welcome to the show. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And we've got our good friend Ira Millman, who is the uh, media director for the uh, Federation for American Immigration Reform, better known as FAIR, in Washington, D.C. And uh, I had to get Myra on here because of the uh, very important DACA uh, ruling, the uh, uh, deferred... Uh, well, I can't remember exactly what all DACA stands for, but Ira, welcome to the show. Um, a lot of folks very uh, concerned about this ruling. 
Uh, obviously, a lot of the liberals are screaming and dancing in the street about it. Uh, what can you tell us about it? You know, the, the DACA uh, decision was disappointing on a number of levels. Uh, number one, it allows what was likely an unconstitutional uh, program established by President Obama to continue. Uh, number two, the court ducked its most uh, essential responsibility, which is to decide matters based on the Constitution. Uh, in this case, they decided it based on some procedural matter, whether the uh, Trump administration had done the proper paperwork in trying to rescind the program. Uh, in fact, in the decision, Justice Roberts said that you know it is entirely uh, likely that the administration had the authority to rescind a policy that was established by the previous administration. I mean, obviously, you know, as, as Barack Obama once said, elections have consequences. Uh, a new president can change policies that were put in place by a previous president. Uh, and, you know, they didn't even decide on that, much less whether uh, DACA, which is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, was constitutional, constitutional in the first place. Uh, you know, even Barack Obama, on, on 22 occasions before he went and did this in 2012, before his reelection bid, uh, that he did not have the constitutional authority to do this, and yet he went ahead and did it anyway. So there were important constitutional issues that were just left on the table, and instead they copped out and decided to just decide it based on whether the Trump administration had dotted all their I's and uh, crossed all their T's on the paperwork that would rescind the policy. Yeah, I, uh, I'm reading online uh, some of the comments that are that are uh, coming out, uh, you know, a lot of people trying to put a silver lining, obviously defending uh, the court uh, as a conservative court and saying that uh, they pushed it back because uh, Congress has not acted on it and it should be Congress that 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 acted on it. But again, Congress hasn't acted on it because they didn't create it. It was created by the executive. And so, uh, you know, uh, waiting for Congress to act at this point uh, is like waiting for the, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, it's waiting for, for, for something to never happen. Uh, what do you think about that, that situation? Well, well first of all, Congress did act on the issue uh, two years prior to President Obama instituting DACA. Uh, there was the DREAM Act that came before Congress in 2010, and it was defeated. Uh, so Congress did act. They said that they were not going to grant amnesty to people who had come to the United States as minors. Uh, two years later, President Obama came along and decided that he was going to uh, institute deferred action. There's no statutory basis for uh, deferring action on an entire class uh, of uh, law violators, uh, and yet he did it anyway. Uh, and they, you know, rather than deciding on that or even deciding uh, affirmatively on uh, the right of a sitting president and the policy that was instituted by his predecessor, they just opted for, uh, you know, saying, well, you know, they didn't do the, they follow the exact letter uh, of the, the Administrative Procedures Act, and therefore we're just going to let things stand. So, uh, it, you know, it, it is, yes, Congress needs to decide this. This is an issue that should be decided by the legislative branch. Uh, but as you point out, the legislative branch can't do anything these days. Uh, and so there is obviously a vacuum that is being filled here. Uh, but it's not as though Congress has never ruled on the basic issue of whether we're going to grant amnesty to people who came to the United States as minors. So did the court say that the president cannot terminate it? I mean, even though the uh, even though it was created by a president, this president cannot terminate it. Well, they didn't say he can't terminate. They said he didn't follow the proper procedures in, in attempting to terminate it. And that may well be true. Look, I mean, the, the um, Trump administration doesn't always dot all their I's and cross all their T's. And they, they should. And there's you know, they, they need to be accountable for that. Uh, but, you know, the the. Uh, court didn't say that it can't be ended. Uh, they simply said that uh, President Trump didn't go about it properly. So we're trying to find a silver lining in all of this situation still. Now, uh, again, the uh, the news media is filled with stories of, uh, of uh, uh, what they call young people being uh, 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 are, are so relieved that they don't have to go back to a country that they don't know in a language that they can't speak. However, 
it seems like the vast majority of these are not really young people. They're adults. And uh, the vast majority of them are bilingual. Am I wrong? (laughs) In most cases, they probably spoke the native language of their parents in their home. uh, So they they do speak the language. Uh, And and you're right. I mean, these are not necessarily young people anymore. They weren't necessarily young people when President Obama established his program in 2012. Uh, It said that you had to be under the age of 31 on the day of enactment. Uh, so, you know, the the <laughs> older cohort of DACA recipients are uh, approaching 40 years old. Uh, you know, they're middle-aged, not young anymore. Uh, but be that as it may, you know, the question is, you know, if you bring your child to the United States illegally, and knowing that you put your child in a difficult situation, is it the responsibility of the American government <clears throat> and the American people to rectify that? And, you know, if you go down that road, uh, you, you open the door for people to do all sorts of things that benefit their kids, uh, and do, do things illegally and that benefit their kids, and then turning around and saying, well, you know, you, you can't take anything away from my kids because they didn't make the decision. Uh, you know, we have always established that the bad decisions of parents do have an impact on, uh, on their children, and it's not punishing their children. There's a difference between a punishment and not rewarding somebody for the the sins of the parent. And, and, you know, it seems that um, under DACA, if you violate our immigration law, your children will benefit from that. That that is a reward uh, to your children based on your illegal act. And that is very different from a punishment. So, I mean, in in this kind of a situation, then, uh, it, it would seem like there's going to be an encouraging situation. It's going to encourage more uh, illegal immigration, particularly of what they call families. Many of them are not families, but people bringing kids across again. Am I wrong in that? Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely the case. I mean, it, you know, if, uh, for instance, you decided to not pay your taxes and put it into a college fund for your kids and the court came along and said, yeah, you know, your kids can keep that college fund, uh, I, I suspect that all of your neighbors would start doing that tomorrow. Uh, so, yes, when you do that sort of thing, look, people do things, obviously, to benefit their children. And if you send the signal that if you violate a law that benefits your children, your children will continue to reap the benefit of your illegal act, then you're simply encouraging more people to break the law. Exactly. I mean, when you reward bad behavior, you're going to get more bad behavior. So, uh, all right. So bottom line in this situation is that uh, uh, there are there is a silver lining because they can the, the president can turn around and follow a proper procedure. But the bad thing is that it still remains. And in, while it remains, there's going to be more. Uh, uh, dreamers, so to speak, coming across, correct? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, certainly this is going to be taken as a signal that, you know, come to the United States, bring your kids, uh, that, you know, this is likely to be repeated. So uh, we're certainly going to do that. Plus, yes, I mean, you can go back and try this again, but the clock is running. Uh, we are less than five months away from an election. Uh, we, you know, who who's going to be president come January is an open question at this point. Uh, anything that is started over again is obviously going to be relitigated. Uh, if, you know, if the administration does it in the, you know, entirely legally with, you know, following every procedure, it's still going to be challenged in the court. These things take time. Uh, so yes, theoretically it can, uh, can be done. Uh, but practically the, the clock is running. Yep. Well, I mean, you know, uh, we're, we, want, we want to try to leave the audience with uh, uh, a little bit of a silver lining. But at the same time, the reality is that DACA still remains. So uh, what, what uh, can you tell us here at the conclusion? Well, look, this needs to be decided by, by Congress. Uh, you know, they, as I mentioned, they did look at this in 2010. They decided not to do it. Uh, but, you know, we cannot have government by executive fiat. Uh, you know, if we're going to allow presidents to simply change the law and then, you know, based on some procedural uh, matter, say that that, that um, executive policy needs to stand forever, uh, then we're basically undermining the, the bedrock of our 
constitutional system here uh, and separation of powers. Uh, you know, President Obama said he did not have the authority because he uh, can't act. Congress makes laws. Uh, and the fact that a president gets frustrated with Congress and because Congress isn't doing what he wants them to do doesn't mean that he has license to simply go ahead and say, well, I'm going to do it on my own. Uh, we, we are headed for uh, dictatorship in four-year increments if we go down that road, and I don't think that's what our founding fathers wanted. I don't think that's what most Americans want. You're right. That's very, very true. Ira, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us today. Uh, tell the folks how they can uh, follow and contribute and support FAIR. Well, they can go to our website, which is fairus.org. That's F-A-I-R-U-S dot O-R-G, fairus.org. Great. Thank you very, very much. We've been talking with Ira Melman, the uh, Director of Media for uh, FAIR in Washington, D.C. Thank you for being with us, Myra. A pleasure. Thanks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And we've got uh, our good friend, uh, Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies. And uh, I wanted uh, to talk with an article that he's written uh, regarding uh, COVID and uh, what is happening at the border. Todd, welcome to the show as usual. Tell us what is going on. Tell us about your latest article and what is going on at the border uh, with the COVID. Sure. So thanks for having me. Uh, essentially, the story is that it's coming through the uh, regular media channels, New York Times, uh, Wall Street Journal, Associated Press, that the spikes, much of the spike, I don't know how much of the spike, but quite a lot of it in the COVID cases being logged in hospitals in California, Arizona, and even Texas are from people who are coming over the border from Mexico. Mexico, as you know, has a different kind of policy, uh, lockdown policy, the universal lockdowns. And so the, uh, the curve was never flattened in Mexico. So like um, Baja and Tamaulipas and Sonora are. So what we're seeing is a lot of people coming in from Mexico and taking American bed that Americans have worked very hard in their own lockdowns to make sure Americans. The reporting that I've seen is questionable because the New York Times, for example, in their piece about Mexico, about uh, people, sick people coming in from Mexico, just says that they're American expats, all of them, American expats or Mexican citizens have green cards who go come back and forth, and instead of going here is what the reporting is, and I question. Whether that is the case, there's no attribution for this at all. There's no reporting for this, admittance records, anything about who the... We know that a uh, very large number, hundreds if not thousands, are pouring into California right now from Mexico and also into Yuma, Arizona, which is um, close right on the California border. And we're seeing a, a tremendous spike in COVID cases in Texas, these were all states that pretty well rates flattened. Now they're not flattened. Uh, so the, the, the real issue here is if these are Mexican citizens or Central Americans who are not legally entitled to uh, facilities that Americans strove very hard to keep clear, that would be kind of a political issue. And Amia is completely skirting the issue about who these people are. That's, that's the, the framing of what, what we're seeing down there. Uh, there's maybe more to come. I've got calls out. I'm talking to Border Patrol, trying to figure out what's going on. Now, you know, we had ex expected, we had anticipated that um, there might be a, um, uh, a, a, uh, a complete deluge of people coming across from Mexico because obviously Mexico doesn't have the capacity to take care of their own. And at the same time, 
if there was a panic over the pandemic, uh, these people would want to run across the border to uh, get uh, help here in the United States. Uh, Is this part of that scenario? It sure looks like it, George. I mean, you've got um, you have a large number uh, coming into California number of COVID cases uh, sky high. Uh, If you look at the Texas Health and Human Services Department, you have spikes in Hidalgo County, Cameroon County, uh, really like kind of historic spikes way up there. Webb County and there in the RGV and also in El Paso County. Uh, what what the Trump administration has done is implemented a an emergency rule around right at the border and just march them right back over the uh, ports at, at, on the pedestrian bridges and whether they're sick or not. Uh, so we don't really know how many illegal Mexicans are coming in. Uh, being brought to the hospital by Border Patrol, which Border Patrol is obligated to other nationalities. But as one Border Patrol agent told me, we, we have a lot of uh, getaways, you know, gotaways. They evaded uh, Border Patrol, and most Mexicans know exactly where to go, uh, where the hospitals are, and they can just simply show up at a hospital and say, I have COVID or I have COVID, you know, please help us, help us out. Um, so there very well could be a lot of illegal Mexican nationals using those facilities, but the Central American migrants that come in over the border are exempt from that uh, turnaround policy, that pushback policy. If any Central American claims to be sick and they're in the custody of Border Patrol or hurt, then Border is obligated to drive them to the nearest hospital and admit them. Uh, where they could very well be claiming uh, or testing for COVID, that number would go into the state database, right, no matter how long they're there. And also Central Americans, but they could be Cubans or Venezuelans, quite a few are Ecuadorans, quite a few um, Cubans, non-Mexican, other than Mexican, who can't find hospital or, or are very possibly using American facilities, our media is just simply not reporting it. Now, one of the things also would be how many of uh, our, our Mexicans that claim that they are Central Americans and how the hell, you, you know, how the issue there is, you know, uh, differentiating the facts because uh, if they claim that they're something other than Mexican, well, then obviously they get to stay, Right. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, if you're if you're hurt or sick, even in the, even with the um, administration's emergency orders to turn people back, you get to you get to, you get to go to the hospital here, and it's all at ta- treatment is at taxpayer expense. These border hospitals in California and Yuma, and I think down the Rio Grande Valley here in Texas, are overwhelmed. I mean, they're filled up with people coming in from Mexico, I just have find it very hard to believe that, like the New York Times says, they're all American expats who happen to be living down there. I just, you know, defy them. <laughs> so, so we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. I, I can see that, um, you know, our regular media is not going to ask about this. Right. Nobody there wants to know about this. And, um, you can tell from the reporting so far that, that that nobody has asked or made inquiries. I have inquiries in right now officially, and I'll write about what I learn as soon as I learn it. Well, the other thing is, the other issue is that we've had uh, all of these demonstrations going on demanding that uh, police detainees uh, out of the fear of uh, the pandemic and them getting sick, et cetera, et cetera. So we've also got to push on that aspect of from that from that side. So, I mean, between between the newcomers and the ones that we're already holding, my gosh, I mean, you know, the the contamination of American society could could happen all over again. Yeah, well, as I've written, uh, I think I wrote back in April that uh, migrants who feel like they're trapped in ICE detention death traps, you know, COVID death traps, don't need to be released into the United States. They can leave whenever they want. That's exactly right. Their homes. 
so if, if that's actually true, that they, they, they really do fear for their lives, well, my God, just go, go home. <laughs> All you got to do is ask. Right. They're out. They're out. You don't need to wait for, uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, maybe litigation or political pressure or lobbying to work. Uh, you know, that that implies, if you're waiting for that, that implies a kind of a disingenu- disingenuity, you know, their disingenuousness. I'm sorry, I think I created a word there, but uh, that's inauthentic. That's an inauthentic claim. That's right. Uh, yeah. Hypocrisy. That's, that's somebody who's just trying to come up with a uh, plausible sort of sounding kind of explanation to just get free into the United States when where you just disappear and join the illegal yeah. population. Let me ask you real quick. Um, over the weekend, there was also a, um, uh, a demonstration apparently in Los Angeles regarding kids in cages. Uh, what? Uh, what kids in cages are we talking about? Well, I mean, if you want to call an ICE detention facility a, a cage, uh, you know, have at it. I think that's just spin. It's uh, untrue. I've been in the detention facilities, and um, you know, they're 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 detention facilities. So you know, it's right. just a, I guess, a, a, an artful term. Spin <laughs> more spin, but. Um, yeah, but um, the fact is, is that you know, kids who come over accompanied often get to stay. Uh, they're put, they're handed over to HHS, uh, Health and Human Services, which is a division of DHS that takes care of kids. You can't just right. So they're not. So bottom line is that they're not in cages. That's that's it. Listen, we've uh, we we need to we need to run here. Tell the folks how they can uh, read about you and where they can where they can follow you. Uh, as as far as your your uh, writings and your uh, research, yeah, sure. The easiest place to find my writing is at toddbensman dot com. Uh, you can also see my writing at cis dot org Center for Immigration Studies. There's like a little page up there with all my stuff there, but toddbensman dot com has it all too. Excellent, buddy. Keep up the good work. Uh, I mean, you know. Uh, outside of you informing us, I don't know where we would learn about this uh, situation at the border with COVID. Yeah, you're not going to get it in the regular media, mm-hmm. that's for sure. I, I'm not seeing anything in the San Antonio Express News either. <laughs> no kidding. We've been talking with uh, our good friend Todd Benzman from the uh, Center for Immigration Studies. Todd, thank you very much for stay- for being with us. Take care. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM Radio. The answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador. And on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer here in San Antonio. And we've got uh, my very, very good friend, Jason uh, Jones, on on because uh, Jason, who usually reports on uh, crime on the border, uh, Jason was called up to uh, work with uh, the Breitbart team. Uh, in New York, to a, uh, apparently one of the Breitbart uh, reporters was attacked, and uh, so Jason went up there, and I wanted Jason to give us a first-hand account of what uh, he saw, what is going on, because uh, Jason, thank you for being with us. Uh, you're you're an astute uh, observer regarding what is going on with crime on the uh, border. What is going on in New York with these ongoing constant uh, uh, 
protests, as they call them. Sure, George, as always, great to be back with you. Yeah, um, I was asked to go up to New York to do some uh, coverage for some reporters who were going to be down in some of these protests. And at that time, this was just days right after the looting and rioting had happened in New York City. And, and as we began to see spreading from Minneapolis around the, around the country, and I said, sure, I'd be happy to go uh, with my background and things. And uh, I got to tell you, I love New York City. I want to say that first and foremost. I've been there many times uh, supporting NYPD and collaborating between Texas and working with New York. From 2011 to 2016, George, I was up there twice a year, either speaking at their conferences or training uh, NYPD officers on cartel tactics and what they were doing. So New York is a place that, I, that I've always just really like. That's one of my favorite cities in the world, I'll tell you. But I, I, to go there and see the level of graffiti, the looting, the damage, and to be quite frank, the lack of reporting that is, a, that is occurring on the damage that has occurred in that city, it was really a, a really a strong takeaway, and, I, and I'll tell you, I spent over the course of four days, I spent probably close to forty hours walking within these different protest groups slash uh, rioting groups, depending upon what time of day or what time of night it was, and to see their actions, to see this level of hatred for where we are in our country was just stunning to me. And you know, I, I've been through two riots in Texas. Uh, both in Mardi Gras and Galveston, and during Kappa down there, and I've never, I've never seen this level of hatred toward police, toward society, and just wanting to create anarchy. It was a really an eye-opening experience, and one, to be quite frank, that is extremely sad to me. Uh, Jason, do you think it was organized? I mean, did you see any? evidence of of uh, leaders organizing and directing the uh, chaos absolutely um you know that's one of the things I'm, I'm pretty frustrated about you know the fbi's role in this is to tell the american people what really is happening we've heard from the president and we've also heard from attorney general Barr that there's clear planning and guidance and funding in some of these groups and i want to tell you what i saw in that being down in there and walking with them, it was clear at the time that I arrived that they were transitioning from rioting and looting into trying to move into more protests. And I saw repeatedly as nightfall would, have, would, would, would hit that several groups internally were combating on messaging. Others were coming in ready to battle, ready to fight. They wanted to fight the police. And I would watch them literally get in arguments as the organizers and the people working the mics would say, no, 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 this is a peaceful protest. We're here to protest peacefully. And so really what you have are these different cells and these different groups that are in, in, in these uh, protests as nightfall hits that become agitators. And I know, you, you know, the folks have heard that being discussed. It's absolutely true. Another thing that you see repeatedly is medics within these groups, and they emerge more at night than they are during the day. And these medics walk around with duct tape, either in red or black, on their arms and on their backpacks. And they are there uh, carrying helmets, carrying expensive DSLR camera gear, filming what's happening so that that way they can later upload it. But they're very organized. So think about that. Why do you need a medic or medics? And believe me, they're everywhere. It's really stunning if you're there to peacefully protest. That's right. That's right. I mean, the uh, the level of organization has been very, very interesting. Here in San Antonio, we saw the uh, the uh, protests uh, erupt and have uh, been going on constantly. I mean, there's all there. There's been a constant uh, uh, marching and 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 uh, carrying of signs and whatnot uh, almost for two weeks now. Uh, do these people? Uh, I mean, do they melt away to go work, or do they are they constantly there uh, on the streets? Well, you know, you have different groups now, and, you know, things have evolved dramatically since uh, the start of the rioting and the protesting. You know, the, what is happening now, mostly what you see is that during the day you see peaceful protests, you see older folks, you see people who are out there to truly try to, you know, voice their opinion, you know, and express their, their First Amendment right, but... 
as nightfall comes in, what I see are much more younger agitators and different groups from across the board who then want to come in and, and create other acts of violence. But the messaging is an important part of this because it's it's really something that I saw change before my eyes. But to try to go from where we were at that time, you know, in destroying property and, you know, blaming the cops for every problem they have to then trying to come across with a message that was going to be long-term. It was clear to me at that time that they were evolving and that their vision was to make this last daily and for long-term. And I will tell you, they truly believe that they now control the city. They said it repeatedly, this city is ours. Um, you would hear this, I mean, repeatedly. I, my gosh, it was in my head for 40 hours. Uh, they also believe that, you know, the disbanding and, and it's not just disbanding, but completely getting rid of the police is one of the major goals that they want to accomplish. I also heard ending white supremacy, which many believe uh, in, in these groups is part of the problem and is one of the issues. And then the final thing is just creating anarchy to get rid and break down our system. And listen, all you have to do is be a part of these groups for an hour or so, and you will hear this a thousand times over on their mics as loud as they'll report it. But what is so frustrating is that the media is not putting this out. And, you know, it's just a shame, but it is what it is, I guess. Let me also ask you about the uh, situation with the police. What uh, did you see or did you speak to any of the police officers, and what was their, what is their situation like? What is, what is their uh, care? Uh, how do they feel? I did. I, I spoke one, and I need to say I spoke to close friends of mine who I've worked with for many years uh, who are high-ranking members of the NYPD, who um, I, I believe that agency is one of the finest in the nation and really in the world. Uh, they, they use some of the most advanced techniques in law enforcement uh, anywhere. And I, But what I saw visually as well, being on the ground, is that you know they truly continuously, at this point, at the time that I got there, were already backing up. They... They were non-confrontational. They were always engaged by uh, protesters, and they always backed up. And it was clear that that's the guidance they were given from leaders above. The the agents um, who work undercover, all of them had been taken off of undercover duties or removed from detective duties, taken off of investigations, put on the street. They were working 12 on, 12 off. No one was had any days off. And they were all standing in uniform to try to have a visual presence available. And they were. They were everywhere, um, always. But any time protesters would confront them, and I've got it on film numerous times, they would just continuously back up. And, I, you know, I saw a lot of things. I mean, I saw, you know, people spitting on them. I saw people throwing rocks at them. I saw uh, one NYPD car just blanketed in, in red paint. And then people, you know, go around the vehicle and start shaking it. And the lawmen never did anything. So, uh, you know, it was extremely frustrating for me to watch, to see these things happening. And then just the police car, after being, you know, covered in paint and rocked, just back up and leave the area. Because these sort of things, you can feel the energy. When something like that happens, everyone starts screaming and running toward that event. And it just changes the environment from a peaceful protest into something out of control very quickly and very rapidly. Let me ask you this, and we only have a minute to go here, but let me ask you real quick. Do you think that the cartels and uh, the folks on the border are going to take advantage of this situation while we're so busy trying to uh, put our lives back together, put our society back together? Cartels always try to take advantage of anything and anyone at any time when they can, especially if it involves the ability to make money. And one thing that I can tell you is that there's no doubt that they have played a role in what we've seen here. We have to remember that fentanyl and methamphetamine were both found in George Floyd's body. And while that may be a very myopic view of the incident and of the issue, we have to be honest that, you know, that their presence in some of the problems we're having in our society is clearly here. It is there, and it is a part of it. And while minimal at best in, in what we're seeing domestically, we have to recognize that they are going to 
continue to play a role, and we have to address it. We have to address the threat from the cartels, and we cannot let up, not for one second. Because I can tell you, as we speak right now, more methamphetamine and more fentanyl than in the history of this country is flowing in. And that's not because I think it, I believe it. It's because the data shows it. In the first seven months of this year, at U.S. Customs and Border Protection, our ports of entry have already seized 92,000 pounds of methamphetamine. Wow. In, in all of 2019, which was the record year, we only seized 68,000. So we are set to double the numbers of methamphetamine. I think we'll be close to around 120,000 pounds yeah. just at the ports of entry. Jason, thank you very, very much for being with us. We've been talking with Jason Jones, my very, very good friend expert in uh, border crime, but he's also now uh, been in New York uh, with uh, on assignment with the Breitbart folks uh, covering the uh, the riots. So, Jason, stay, stay uh, safe. Um, let's get you back on next week uh, so that we can talk about uh, La Barbie and uh, the cartels. Thank you. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, Please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning.